If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 28, 18-20. I, uh, I had major reservations in, in preaching this text, uh, largely because it's been preached so many times. I mean, what would I really add to what has already been said? How can I make a contribution to your thoughts on this text? I was really, uh, I really had nothing to give. And, and I was afraid that when you saw this reference, you'd immediately start to tune out. You begin to think about what you're going to do with the rest of your day. Maybe you sit in the back, you write down your grocery list, and you long for the time where I just sit down and shut my trap. I mean, that's, that's honestly one of my fears. <laughs> but even worse than that, I have another confession to make. As I was preparing this sermon, my title, points, and subpoints all began with the letter C. It, uh, it just happened. They just kept coming. It was alliteration AWOL. It, it was, I don't know, I'm just going to put them out there. You know, I'm going I'm to let you see them right up front. You know, all six bajillion of them right there. See, there you go. VC of discipleship, all of them right there. And uh, I, I just want to put them out there so uh, you can enjoy them, you can take pleasure in them, you can snicker quietly to yourself right now get them out of the way. Uh, but I say these things, I, I bring these cautions right up front. This familiarity of this text and the distraction that may come with alliteration because you might think that's silly. Uh, I put them right up front so that they will not be a hindrance to this message. I do not want these things to distract you. I don't want you to tune out. You see, my task for today is to present the biblical call to discipleship. And when it came to this text, I mean, this is where it all began for the church. This is, these were Christ's parting words before he ascended. And so, it's the best place for us to start. It's an important place for us to start. And so, though I may not actually add anything new, I hope this message serves as a reminder of some good, faithful, familiar truths that Jesus called us to make disciples. That's what we've been charged to do. So I pray that, that though this is a familiar passage to us, God might breathe life in it again for you. That you might have a renewed passion, a rejuvenated desire, a revived fervency to follow the call of Christ to make disciples. Before we go any further, I want us just to pray. God of all grace and comfort, you have privileged us. You have given us the blessing to be called your children. All of those who are trusting in Christ as their Lord and Savior are they are your heirs and your ambassadors. God, with that blessing, you have given us this responsibility, this charge to, to make disciples. And it is a charge that is heavy on my heart. It's a charge that I do not feel adequate for. And I'm sure that if we took an honest look as we went around this room, none of us would feel adequate 
for this task. And so, Lord, I pray that your grace might be with us as we study your word, that it might sink deep within our hearts, that we might recognize that love so amazing, so divine, that demands our lives, our souls, our all. Lord, let us not sing that song without thought, but may it penetrate deeply the wondrous cross that calls us to make disciples. So God, we pray with expectancy to see you work here today. It's in the powerful name of Christ we pray. Amen. So let's go ahead and read the text. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The first thing we learn from this passage is that we have a commander of discipleship. In verse 18, Jesus makes a bold claim here. He says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He says he owns it. He controls it. He has rights over it. All things, all things are under his authority. How can he say this? What right does this man have to claim authority over all? Well, first, he gained victory over guilt and condemnation through his death. By his resurrection, he triumphed over the power of sin and death. The power and penalty of sin was overcome, and and by it, he has also defeated Satan, who can destroy us with guilt of sin and torment us with suffering and death. So therefore, this this sin, this condemnation, this death, Satan, all those things which had bound us, all those things which had enslaved us, which were in authority over us, he has actually triumphed over in his death, burial, and resurrection. Therefore, he is in authority over all those things that had been authorities in our lives. And so by his death and resurrection, he can then claim that authority. See, because he was obedient to the point of death on a cross, therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His death gained a glorious victory over every authority, and therefore God bestowed on him the glory that's due his name. So now there is not one square inch in heaven and on earth. There is nothing that is outside of his control. Not Satan, not angels, not demons, not sun, moon, stars, celestial bodies, not tornadoes, not hurricanes, not typhoons, floods, thunderstorms, hail, or drought, not fish or fowl, not bear or bacteria, not animal, immediate, nothing giant, nothing small, not DNA, not every heartbeat or breath, not governments, nor principalities, nor powers, nor armies, nor legislative bodies, not industry, not entertainment, 
Not crime, not the church, not every single soul in every single moment of life is outside of his control. He reigns over all. He is in supreme authority. That is the authority of Christ that he is speaking about. It's his. He claims it. It's a lofty claim, but it's a true claim. And it's also his because it has been given to him by God, the maker of heaven and earth. God made it. He owns it. It belongs to him. And he has bestowed that authority upon his son. God has put all things in subjection under his feet, according to 1 Corinthians 15.27. There's nothing in heaven or, or on earth in which Jesus does not have authority. This means that he has the right and the power to do with it as he pleases. It's both right and power. And the scope and magnitude of this, of Jesus' authority, is, is absolutely infinite. Because God the Father, He can't give up being God. Do you realize that? When He gives authority to Jesus, He can't give up being God. I mean, God is God. He can't claim not to be God. So when He gives authority, He's establishing the fact that it was always true, that Jesus is God. So by his death, burial, and resurrection, he defeated all authority that was over man. By the fact that he is God's son, that authority was bestowed upon him by God. Therefore, he has right over all. And as a result, Jesus is the commander of our discipleship. He has the right to command, and he has the power to act. And his purpose in our discipleship is that others might know this same fact. That others might recognize that he is Lord over all. The outflow of Jesus' true claim of authority here is that we make disciples. Because Jesus is Lord of all, we, by implication, have been commissioned then to make disciples. So then if you look back at the text, the main verb there in verse 19 is this making disciples. This is the commission that he has given to us. The emphatic point that Jesus is making here is that we are called to make disciples. We have been we have received this commission. We are to follow in Christ's example of reproducing his work in making disciples. That's what Jesus did. That's what he has called us to do. And there's some characteristics that come with this commission for discipleship. The first characteristic that comes out in this text is that you must be a disciple before you can make a disciple. In verses 16 and 17, he tells us that while he was speaking to his disciples and those who had followed him, he was speaking to those that for three years had followed him, his disciples, and he's telling them to make disciples. If we're not willing to follow Christ, we can't lead other people to follow Christ. It just doesn't work that way. We can't lead them where we're not willing to go. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verses 27 through 30, All authority has been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows except the Son, uh, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, in this case, 
He's speaking to those who are, who are trying to carry the, lo- the yoke of fulfilling the Old Testament law. They had that burden, that yoke upon them to, to obey perfectly all the laws and regulations of the Old Testament. And it was a heavy burden. It was, it was insurmountable. But Jesus says to them, trade that yoke for my yoke. He doesn't say, be free of all yokes. He says, trade that yoke for mine. Exchange it for my yoke. Paul says something similar elsewhere in Romans 6, where he says, either we can be slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. It's one or the other. Either you're bowing down to sin, or you're bowing down to Christ living in righteousness. We have two options. We can be slaves to the things of this world. Either by trying to religiously, rigorously follow all the law, trying to earn our own salvation, or another worldly example would be to to just follow the sin of this world, or we can be slaves to Christ. Those are the two options. Either way, we're wearing that yoke. And we cannot lead others to take that yoke upon themselves unless we first take that same yoke upon ourselves. So then what's a disciple? Well, technically, a disciple is a learner. But this is not just somebody who acquires knowledge. This is not somebody who just learns and adds to their intellect, to their ability to comprehend certain facts. This is somebody who follows the pattern and example of the teacher, the one who is trained to do the same thing as his master, to follow in his footsteps, one who proclaims the same message in word and deed, the one who takes the same yoke upon himself. The term disciple here in in Matthew 28, I I don't want you for a second to think that this was limited to the twelve, to the apostles. Disciple has a much broader meaning. Acts 6, as well as other passages in the New Testament, makes it clear that all true believers are disciples, intended to follow the pattern of their master, Jesus Christ. Disciples are those who hear, who understand, and who obey Jesus. Disciples are made by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Their lives are conformed to Christ as they submit themselves to His instruction and as they take His yoke upon themselves. You and I, our job in making disciples is to point them to the Word so that their lives might be transformed by it. Discipleship, then, is really any time you apply the Word of God to a situation. It could be evangelism, or it could be some sort of formal biblical counsel. It could be missions. It could be biblical parenting. But there is no distinction when it comes to discipleship. It's all discipleship. And we're not called to do just parts of it, or the things that we think that we would like to do. It's not enough. We, we can't just say, you know what, I, I feel called to, to preach, but I'm not going to show mercy. I feel called to counsel, but I'm not going to evangelize. <coughs> Discipleship is much more broad than that. It was intended to be broad like that. When you and I embrace Christ to be His disciple, we, by nature, are to embrace this broad call to make disciples. Being a disciple is not an easy thing. There's a heavy 
cost to disciple, to being a disciple. I, I don't want you guys to miss this. This yoke of Christ is not a get-out-of-hell-free card. The church today treats it so much like, do this, you're absolved of your sin, and you're good to go. No! You have a yoke upon you to follow Christ. Jesus warned us many times that the cost of discipleship is high. I mean, read Luke if you want to learn about the cost of discipleship. Jesus said to be his disciples, you must leave all to follow him. Luke 9, 57-62. As they were going along the road, someone said to them, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have no holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to them, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. To be his disciples, we know that we must deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. Luke 9, 23 and 24 says, Jesus said to them all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save him. And to be his disciples, we, are, we must have all other allegiances as loss. Luke 14, 25-33. Now great crowds accompanied and turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether you have enough to complete it? Otherwise, it is he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish. All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, but was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet those who come against him with 20,000? If not, while, other, while the other is still a great distance off, he will send a delegation and ask for terms of peace. Therefore, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. If you and I are going to be his disciples, be disciples who make disciples, we must count the cost and we must commend the cost. Now I want you to think about your life for, for just a moment. What is it that you are unwilling to let go of? What allegiances are you clinging to? What is it that's keeping you from fully investing yourself in this call, this commission to make disciples? Would you really leave family, job, education, friends, connections, familiar surroundings, and homes if Jesus asked you to? If He just showed up and said, follow me, without any explanation, without any direction? Are you willing to say to God that what, that He can have whatever He wants? You make no 
terms or conditions. God, you have called me here, and I am going to follow you. This is what I'm going to do. Do you believe in that a wholehearted commitment to Jesus is more important than any other person or any other thing in your life? Guys, I pray that we will truly let these things go. That we will not align ourselves with lesser things, no matter how glorious they may seem, even if it's some sort of call to ministry. Let us not make that an idol in our lives. Let us not try to barter with Christ and say to Him, you know, Christ, I'll make disciples in this context, but I won't in this context. Or when I get to this point, then I'll do it, but when I'm here, I won't. We are called to make disciples. He makes those decisions. He makes those choices. And it's our responsibility to obey. And I pray that you guys won't barter with Christ. And though this cost might seem great, we have to keep in mind that the end reward is far greater. I mean, I'm really challenged by this passage. I'm really challenged by this text. And I hope that you are too. But Christ meant for you to be challenged by this text. If you'd like to read further on the cost of discipleship, which I would really recommend you do that, there's the book Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And then I'd also recommend this book, the short read, easy read. I read this in, I don't know, three, four hours, something like that, this weekend. And it's called uh, Crazy Love by Francis Chan. It's a great book really challenging us to embrace the radical cost of discipleship and start living lukewarm, pseudo-Christian lives. So we've seen the commander and the commission. Now we need to look at the context of discipleship. In verse 19 he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You know, one of the benefits of going to seminary is that you get to learn Greek. And uh, if you study this passage at all, you know that there's one main verb, and that's make disciples. That's the imperative. That's the command. And all the other verbs that we associate are participles. And so with participles, there's always a challenge in how do you interpret them. Go is one of these participles. How do we interpret it? We have to make some decisions. I think there are two ways to interpret it, and I think that both are correct. The first one, we interpret it as, as you go. Therefore, as you go, make disciples. What this means is, as you are going, wherever you are, whatever place you find yourself in, look for the opportunities you have to make disciples. So for all of you, that's right here. That's right now. Here's where you are. As you have gone to Champaign-Urbana, how are you going to be used to make disciples? As you go. God, in His sovereignty, has designed that you live and work and play in this very place where you are, so that He might use these providential opportunities that He gives to you to make disciples. No matter where you are, this call applies to you. No matter your station, this is no accident. How are you using your workplace to make disciples? How are you investing in the lives of your neighbors, in in your classmates, in your community? 
How are you being intentional about those opportunities that you have every day to come across people, to make a difference, to make disciples? You have been called. That commission is for you, and it applies right now. And I pray that you don't waste it hoping for the next best thing. Well, when I get here, then I will. Because the reality is you won't. It's just like marriage. You know what? I, when we counsel people in marriage, we say, hey, you know what? If you're not doing this now, if you're not leading your, your uh, the girl that you're courting now, you're not going to lead her when you're married. When you're not doing these things now, you won't do them then, when the responsibility is then on you. And in fact, if you're not doing them now, what makes you think you can even do it? So wherever you are, as you go, make disciples. Secondly, this go also has an imperatival force. It, 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 it feels, it, it sort of receives some of the force of the, the command making disciples. So he's saying, go. Actually go. Make disciples of all nations. That means leave where you are so that you can make disciples of all nations. And that makes perfect sense, given the context. I mean, are all nations right here? No, they're not. They're not. So we need to go. It's funny, though, how often we can treat it like they need to come to us. Like we can just go, or we can put out our sign, making disciples, and we sit around and we wait for them to come to us, rather than seizing opportunities that we have been given, or following in the command to obeying that command to go. I mean, churches do this all the time. They advertise, they build buildings, they, they set up these really entertaining programs, and they just wait for people to come to them. Like, if we do something well enough, if we do it flashy enough, if, if we just get the word out enough, they're going to come to us rather than we go out to them. But we are to go. We're to go to them. So we're to engage, to invest, to invite, whether it be here or abroad. Guys, do you realize that there are approximately 2 billion people that have little or no access to the gospel? Little or no access. So who's going to take it to them? This command of making disciples is yours. Are you going to wait for the William Carey's and the Adoniram Jetsons to go? Or is God calling you to respond in obedience? Each of us has to play a part in making disciples of all nations. So even if God is not calling you to go, you are still responsible to make disciples of all nations. You do that through prayer. You do that through giving, through encouraging missionaries, through helping to support the training of them, the equipping of them. But this commission is yours. You are to make disciples of all nations. We as a church are called to make disciples of all nations. And you know what? We have less of an excuse even just being right here. Do you also realize that there are 24,000 internationals that live in Champaign-Urbana? 24,000. We can make disciples of all nations just by walking outside. I mean, I can't even go out my door. I mean, my neighborhood is filled with internationals. I have no excuse not to engage them. When I go to work at the Y, there are a lot of internationals that go and use the YMCA. And I have that opportunity there to engage with internationals. 
So I can make disciples of all nations by not even leaving here. So the question is, how are you making the most of those opportunities with your classmates, with your coworkers, with people in your neighborhood? We must remember that we are called to go. We are to take the initiative to make disciples. So our commander has commissioned us to make disciples both in our immediate context and of all nations. So what ultimately does this look like? What are the commitments we have in making disciples? The commitments of discipleship. Um, again, the text provides another answer. Look down at, at 19 and 20. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Here we are given both the confession and content of discipleship. Now these are not the sole means of discipleship. Like the only way we disciple is by baptizing and teaching. That's not simply it. But these are the commitments necessary for people to truly become disciples. Okay? Not that baptism saves you, but the important thing about baptism here is that it's a confession of our discipleship. When we are baptized, we are making a profession of our faith. This is a public profession of one's identity in Christ. To be baptized is to say, I have a relationship with Christ. I mean, this is not merely a religious ritual that we follow through because we uh, intellectually ascend to certain doctrinal teachings. This is something that's much more intimate than that. When one is baptized, they're saying, I believe that God has chosen to save me. I know that Christ's sacrifice has been applied to me. I believe that I have received the Holy Spirit and I have now come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I know Him. I love Him. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life seeking to know Him and love Him more. That's what the relationship aspect of our baptism means. In baptism, we profess faith that in love for His creatures, the Holy God became man to live a perfect life on a cross and to give to, to live a perfect life and to lay down that life upon the cross to take the power and penalty of sin away. By His blood, by giving His life, He substituted His life for ours. And in His resurrection, we have the promise of a new life in Him. One free from bondage, one free from condemnation and the power of sin. Life is now able to be lived by the power of the Holy Spirit in holy obedience to God. A life that will ultimately be restored to a perfect relationship when, with God when Christ returns. But there's another side to our baptism. When we are baptized, we are also saying that we are under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Do you know what it means to say that I'm a Christian? When I say that I'm a Christian, I'm saying I belong to Jesus Christ. I take His name as my own. It's a lot like a wife taking the name of her spouse. They're drawn in this relationship together, and she now belongs to Him. We are His. We profess Him as Lord of our lives. And this means that we have to denounce all other lords whether it be some Lord of sin, the Lord of self, 
the Lord of material possessions, whatever those things that you would worship before, those idols of your heart, you lay them down and you submit your life to Christ alone as your Lord. You're willing to go where He goes. You're willing to to do what He asks of you. In this day, we have to we have to remember in in in, in Matthew's time, in the time this Great Commission was actually given, to say this meant death. To say that Christ is Lord is to say that no one else is Lord. That's to say that that Caesar is not Lord. You could not say both Caesar is Lord and Christ is Lord. What happened to the twelve? All but one of them were martyred. And we don't know how many were here listening and how many of those two were also martyred. But we do have some pretty good records of the early church and a vast number were asked to denounce Christ. They were asked to say, Caesar's Lord, they refused. And so they faced lions. They were speared to death. They were crucified. They were burnt alive. Any number of things. That's what it meant. And today, we're 2,000 years separated from that. We think that that somehow doesn't, shouldn't mean as much. The reality is, is that, that it should be every bit as significant for us. When we say that Jesus is Lord, we're saying He alone is Lord, and I'm dying to all other lords. I'm considering myself dead in Christ. I'll follow Him. I'll follow the Lord Jesus Christ to death if it is necessary. So with this in mind, it's not surprising that baptism was a sign both of entrance into God's covenant community, the church, and also a pledge of submission to His Lordship. I want you to get this. I'm going to keep pounding on this Lordship of Christ. Because it's a key issue today. If He is Lord, He reigns. We don't have options to pick and choose where we would lead. If God calls us, there we are. We must follow So that's a confession. Next, let's look at the content. Christ says that His disciples are are to teach others to observe all that Christ had commanded. Observe doesn't just mean watch. You know, just to, to look upon all that Christ has done. For us, that means, well, you know, we read all that Christ commanded in our Bibles and nothing else. That's, that's not what it means. Observing means that, that we obey, that we follow, that we believe that Christ died, um, and that we too should follow in that same pattern. Being a disciple, then, does not simply mean that you believe that Jesus died for your sin. That's part of it. Jesus did die for your sin. But it also means that He died for your sin so that you might live for Him. That's what it means to be for Him to be Lord of your life. That you live for Him. Paul says it this way in Romans 6, 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin, have become obedient from the heart to a standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Christ said that if you are my disciples in John 8, 31, that you will abide in my word. Christ says that if you are my disciples in John 13, 35, that you will have love for one another. Christ says that if you are my disciples in John 15, 8, that you will bear much fruit for him. This is all-inclusive. It's all-inclusive. We can't just do part of it. 
We can't pick and choose the way in which we're going to obey Christ. It's not even enough to say, you know what, I'm willing to make disciples in this way, but not in this way. If we're not able to make disciples wherever or whenever we are, the question comes down to, are we disciples? Friends, I want you to understand the seriousness of Jesus' command. Failure to disciple, to baptize, to teach the peoples of the world is a failure to own our own discipleship. Can we truly be disciples if we are not making disciples? Either in our homes, or in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, communities, among our families, our friends, or even within the church? Can we truly claim to be his disciples? When I look at these texts that I've mentioned, when I look at the Holy Scripture, I honestly have to answer no. True disciples make disciples. That's what they do. If we're not... Can we truly claim to be disciples? I realize that this is heavy. This is heavy on my heart. I hope that you feel the weight of this. Jesus, the one who has right and power to rule over all creation, has given you the overwhelming responsibility of being disciples who make disciples. Those who count and embrace the grave cost of discipleship and then who commend it to others. You think of the difficulty if we're actually going to do this. Think of the demand. Think of the opposition you'll face if you really let this out. Think of what you'll have to sacrifice. Christ intended for this to be hard. Discipleship is not an easy process. Making disciples is not an easy process. But with that, he gave a promise. A sustaining, persevering, never-fading, peace-giving promise. And that's the comfort of discipleship. He says in verse 20, Behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. He's saying, you know what? I'm enough. I am really enough. My grace is sufficient for your weakness, for your doubts, for your feelings of inexperience and ineptitude. I am always with you. And I will be the one who causes you to persevere in this commission of being, of making disciples, of being a disciple, of making a disciple. I am with you. And this floors me. When you think about the one who made this great claim to have authority over the heavens and the earth, who owns it all, and who has given us this great commission to make disciples of all nations, has given us this great comfort, that He will always be with us. Do you believe that He'll always be with us? Do you really believe that? In the last few weeks, uh, a lot of things have have happened uh, in in our lives and, and and when I look at getting ready to launch this church, i got to be honest with myself and saying I'm not ready. I don't feel like I'm ready. I don't feel like I'm able to lead as I should. Uh, and it's been Because I, I, I believe clearly in the authority of Christ. I, I believe clearly in this call to make disciples and that I need to own that. And that this is where God has placed me. And I, it's been... Uh, an anxious time. 
but we just have to get away. <clears throat> and so, you know, um, it's been hard, and there's been a lot of discouragement along the way. And I look at it, and I can feel sorry for myself. You know, I made a lot of risks to come here. I put my family on the line. This thing may or may not even work out. What, what am I doing? What, what's going to happen? Where, where are you, God? Where are you? Are you going to bless this thing? And I start throwing a pity party for myself. I'm sitting. by the lake, and I'm chucking rocks, you know, I'm skipping rocks, and I, look, I throw this one rock, and it, it skips, I lose count like 15 times, I mean, it was amazing, the best skip by far I did, but you know, this thing lasted a couple of seconds, and it was underwater, I'm standing there, and I'm looking at this lake, that seems like it's going to go on forever, it's not moving, it's perfectly still, I can't make that water. I can't make those trees. I can't make that wind blow. I don't sustain any of that. And my life came down to being like that rock. That no matter how hard I threw, how perfect it was, even though it might skip a hundred times, within a few seconds it's down at the bottom of the lake. And though I want my life to be something of significance, I want my skips to be many, I realize that it's insignificant compared to what I was looking at. And it was as if Christ said to me, these words, because I've been studying this passage, I am with you always. Friends, Christ is enough. Whatever your affliction, your hardship, the situation you find yourself in, the circumstance, when Christ calls you to make disciples, He is enough. He will sustain you. You don't need anything else. You don't need to run. You don't need to hide. You don't need to bury yourself in forms of entertainment or escape or school or whatever it might be to deter you away from this call to make disciples because Christ is with you and He is enough. His grace is sufficient for you. Make His power perfect in your weakness. Boast gladly in your weakness so that the power of Christ might rest upon you. Friends, Jesus is here for us. He's here for Redeemer. He's here for you and He's here for me. I am always with you. Causing you to persevere. I am always with you. Jesus will be with you until the consummation of discipleship, which is the end of the age. This commission to make disciples will continue until Christ returns. This is one of the ways that we know that this this commission wasn't just for his apostles, but was for all of us. Because he said, it's going to continue on until I return. This is your station. All disciples... All believers, all true believers are called to make disciples. And with that, Christ always promises to be here until the day where we can see Him face to face. 
So may this be your hope. May this be your great comfort. As we go out of here, intentionally about making disciples, that we recognize that Christ is with us, comforting us, sustaining us, causing us to grow, causing us to be used that others might grow. So let us together submit ourselves to the rightful Lord of heaven and earth. Let us be diligent to obey this call to discipleship. And let us trust in that great comfort that Jesus is always with us, sustaining us until the day where we shall see Him face to face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come to You humbly recognizing that you are Lord over all, that you own it and it belongs to you, that we have no right or claim over any of it. Not our stuff, not our family or friends, not even our own lives. Lord, they belong to you. Lord, we confess that this call to make disciples seems heavy, causes us fear, discomfort. It challenges us in ways that we don't feel like we can go. Lord, we pray that we would truly trust in Christ. That He would be enough for us. That we would be so overwhelmed by the love that You've shown through Him that we would truly sacrifice our life, our soul, our all. We pray that Christ would be enough. He is with us. Always. It's in His name we pray. Amen.